Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. It is my honor and privilege to be here this morning to um, be able to bring the Word to you guys. I'm hoping that uh, it gives uh, your elders and your pastors a good refresh and they can uh, be poured into um, it's hard to be a pastor when you're always pouring out, and so um, if I can get my uh, message to come up here, we'll get going. I've got, what, two, three hours? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I won't, I won't keep you guys past 2 p.m., I promise. No. Um, uh, anyways, good morning. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to um, read the, we, we do the same thing. We read the passage, uh, have someone read the passage before our pastor comes up and speaks on Sundays. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I was able to do that. And um, uh, our pastor encourages us to kind of tell who we are. Most people know the people that go up there to do it, but you kind of just tell them who you are um, and, and give them a little bit of background and some of the things you do in the church and maybe just share a word of encouragement um, uh, and a couple of weeks ago, I ran across a passage that I wanted to share with them, and it came from Galatians 6. And um, uh, at the end of Galatians, Paul is kind of just wrapping up that, that, that uh, book. And in, in Galatians 6.16, he calls the people of the, uh, of the church there, he calls them the Israel of God. And um, listen, listen to verse six, uh, 16 of Galatians 6 there. It says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be unto them and to upon the Israel of God. He's speaking into the entire Christian body there in Galatia, and uh, that included Jews and Gentiles. And so he's calling all of them Israel, right? And uh, when we become Christians, we become God's chosen people, and we become Israel. And what a great picture that is of what it means to be adopted into the family of God. We become Israel, even though I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile, right? I'm going to talk more about that here in a little bit. But um, So this morning, I just want to say good, good morning, Israel. Good morning, people of God. And so, so glad, I'm so glad we're here. Um, now, you're probably wondering at this point, who's this guy? I don't know him. Some of you do know me, um, but um, I'm not Michael. As you can see, I'm nearly, not, nearly, not nearly as good looking or as smart as him, and so I apologize for that. But sometimes God gives us exactly what we need, and so um, uh, uh, hopefully he will give you something today. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Jones. I'm here uh, uh, with uh, a group from Fountain City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This, this is actually my third trip here some of, um, uh, some of us, it's our second trip, um, and we're up here to just minister to you guys. We gave a, a ladies' retreat over the last couple days, and uh, from talking to most of y'all, it was, uh, I think it was a good time. I was downstairs watching kids, so I didn't, I'm pretty sure it went good. I've heard it went great, but I know it did um, because um, God was in that, and um, I just hope it was a, was a blessing to everyone, and, and I know we were blessed by the kids because we got to just hang out and play, so... It was fun. Um, but this is my third trip up here, and I have to say that every time I come up, uh, like, I, I love Vermont more and more. And um, so this, uh, before I get into the meat of my message, this is where I get to brag just a little bit, and not on myself, 
but on, but on you guys, right? And on your pastors and on, and, and on um, the team uh, of churches that is up here in the Vermont area. And um, uh, if you want to rewind just a little bit, I guess last year, about January, um, January of 2022, our missions pastor gave me a call and he's like, hey, Chris, do you want to go to Vermont? And I'm like, Vermont, I don't even think I've ever heard of that state. Is that really a state? And he's like, yeah, it is, I promise. And so um, he's like, we have an opportunity to go to Vermont, to a small church up there and kind of go on a vision trip and see if we might want to help partner with them in spreading the gospel up there. And so my wife and I are like, well, yeah, maybe we should go. And so we prayed about it. We did a little research and um, we found out that Vermont was a state and it is up there. And so um, in, in March of last year, we came up for the mission of church, uh, church conference. I, there's a name for it and I don't know what it is, but Family of Churches Conference. We came up for that and um, we, uh, we had a blast and we really fell in love with a lot of you guys and met Michael and Kayla and uh, Ethan and Lacey and um, Paul and Katie, and like, what a blessing uh, you guys are to, to us. And so um, you guys had a real impact on me personally, and this is where I get to kind of brag on you guys a little bit. Um, I remember Michael telling me at one point that uh, he's an introvert and uh, that he doesn't typically like to, to, to be up speaking and that, uh, but when God calls you into something like, there's a lot of times the things you, you can't do. Well, for me, I'm an extrovert, right? I get really loud. I'm talk. If you're into Enneagrams, I'm an eight. If anybody in here is an eight, then uh, go, go eight. I'm not sure. sure I'm, uh, my wife is into that way more than I am, but um, I'm an extrovert. And so um, based on that and based on seeing a couple other things that were going on in my life, I was like, man, I, I should be if – if a guy that's an introvert is out here preaching the gospel and doing things for – for the kingdom, why am I, as an extrovert that is given these kind of gifts naturally, why am I not doing that, right? And so um, uh, I, I just got to questioning and asking, and I started praying and started reading my Bible more, and um, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute uh, for you guys, but I, I uh, just seeked what God was, was leading me to, and um, I did something crazy at that point, and um, for a 47-year-old guy, this is, is very crazy. I uh, met with my pastor, and I asked him if I could go to seminary. And so uh, that is just a crazy thing, especially for me. I've already been through college and done all that, and I'm like, yeah, I just I don't know what I'm going to do. So I talked to our pastor, and through um, praying, and um, we asked for the church's body's vote, and uh, I applied, and... Uh, I can't believe it, but I got accepted. And so um, uh, it's funny that uh, God puts us exactly where we need to be. And so um, luckily, I've gone through two, I've already, uh, I'll start my third semester coming January. And so I don't know where that's going to lead, but I'm praying that God will um, open that path for me and I'm trusting that he will, he will push me there. And uh, that's all in part partially to you guys and partially to what you guys are doing, that you are impacting people, people that are Christians, people that are non-Christians. And so I, I want to say thank you for that. I want to say thank you, God, that uh, he puts people in the right place at the right time uh, because everything he does is good and great. And so um, uh, if you don't believe me, uh, that's just my story. We have other people that are here with us. Um, Stu Setliff is the guy that just read the, the, the verses. 
him and his, he came up with us last year when we came in about a year ago, and he was so impacted by it that him and his wife came up for the family conference of churches this year, right? He came up to the conference, and, and um, they're actually thinking about making a move either here or somewhere around here. Um, and so pray for them, but like that's just that's all because of you guys, because of how faithful you guys are. And uh, so I just thank you for that. Uh, another guy, uh, if you guys have met Tim, he's downstairs with with the kids. He came with us last year, and um, he loved it so much. He brought his entire family this time. All three of them, him, his wife, and his daughter, are here, and they're downstairs watching kids while we're up here ministering to you guys. And so. Um, he just, he loves it up here as well. As a matter of fact, they were the first three to sign up the minute it, the, the trip opened, like they took the first three spots, like bam. And so what a, what a great testimony that is to our God and to you guys. And so, um, you, you guys are impacting people and thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, and you're impacting Christians and non-Christians alike. If you can impact an old Christian like me, then I guarantee you're impacting new Christians and non-Christians too. So that was my kind of my introduction before my introduction. So I've, that, that was just the, the uh, uh, kind of um, thank you and where we are. And now I promise I'll start preaching. So, um, so as, as Stu read for you, um, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter uh, 15 today. Our pastor recently has been in Romans. Uh, he's actually been in Romans chapter 12, and so I had been reading that kind of in my devotionals and going through the other, the other chapters. He stayed on chapter 12 for some reason and, and turned it into like a six-month uh, 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 series on Romans 12, and it's been great, but like it also got me into the Word and into reading other parts of the Word. And so uh, my, my desire this morning is that you guys will find some hope, some courage, encouragement in, uh, in what Paul's saying here. So, um, and this is not because of anything that I'm saying. Um, this is, is not anything that Paul's saying, but this is what God's saying, because this is the Word of God, right? And uh, we have instructions that God left us right here in front of us. I've got everything on my iPad, sorry about that, but, you know, I brought my Bible too, just as a backup. Um, but we have God's Word right here. We don't have to guess, and I'm actually going to talk about that again in more detail in a minute. But um, as we get into... into um, uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, Romans is probably considered to be the most, I would say it's probably, if it's not the most important, it's definitely the most popular work, uh, epistle, letter that Paul wrote, right? It's definitely um, uh, essential to how we live as Christians, right? It's Paul's ultimate work on the Christian life. Um, it's arguably one of the most popular books in the New Testament among pastors and theologians outside of the Gospels. And so um, it, it, it focuses on doctrine, it focuses on um, the doctrine of salvation and its practical application. And so for believers, it's important that we, that we look at what Paul wrote here and uh, we look at what he's trying to tell us to do. His purpose in writing this is to impact spiritual strength to believers and uh, um, to, give it, to give us um, practical application for that. And so this morning, I hope you see some practical applications from that. Um, we actually see that in the, uh, you know, I'm at the end of Romans, but we actually see that in the beginning of Romans. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12, um, 
Paul is, is trying to give strength to the believers, and he tells us that at the beginning uh, of this letter. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you. That is, that we, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he's, he's striving, he's wanting to impart spiritual strength to the believers. Um, uh, throughout the book, Paul also addresses uh, the Jewish and Gentile uh, tensions that the church was currently facing at that time, and um, uh, it was kind of an exposition on what is essentially a Christian and what is not. Like, here's what it is to me, means to be a Christian, and here's what it doesn't mean to be a Christian. It's, it's pretty simple and straightforward when you, look, when you look down at the meat and bones of it. So, as we look, look here at this passage in Romans 15, I hope and pray that it will give you courage and strength uh, in your faith, and I hope it will give you some practical applications uh, as you continue in, uh, in, in your faith. Um, so when we get to Romans 15, um, this is really the conclusion of Paul's instructions to the Roman church. It, it's really the first of three kind of um, uh, expositions he gives at the end, or three in, he really ends the letter three times. It's very interesting, but um, he addresses different things each time. But it's part of several conclusions to this letter. Paul wraps up um, how that we that are strong in the faith in Christ should live in relationship for those who are weaker. And so um, right before that in Romans 14, uh, he says that, that, that he equates being strong in the faith um, really gives us as Christians a freedom to participate in things that were uh, formerly forbidden by the law of Moses or that didn't please any of, the, any of the Jewish tradition. And so now when we jump into 15, Paul insists that those that are strong in faith um, uh, should trust God enough to please others above themselves. So focus on that today. Your congregation is already doing that. Like I, like I talked about just a minute ago in my pre-introduction introduction, is like you're living in a place that has little to no access to the gospel. You're already out there doing those things, putting others' needs before your own. And so um, as, uh, as, we, as we look at these, at these verses, I, I pray that you would continue to do that. So how do we do that? Well, uh, the first thing is we, we have the best example to follow when we're trying to live the Christian life. And that example is who? It's Christ. That's right. We have Jesus, right? We don't have to, um, we don't have to guess how we're supposed to act. Jesus didn't come to, to earth to, to please himself. All he did was the will of the Father the entire time. He could have he pleased himself, but he didn't. He did just the opposite. He put others' needs before his own because he knew that the need was big. Um, instead of gauging in conflicts over social issues, uh, he, uh, his goal was to, to have people live together in harmony and unity and uh, that we should all glorify God in one voice. So uh, we should do the same, right? We should emulate that. We should do this for unbelievers. We should do this for weaker Christians. We should do this for everyone else because that's what God tells us to do. And uh, like I said before, we can even do this for, for older, mature Christians because I'm still a sinner and I uh, 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 sin every day and I still need God's grace every day. So the first thing I want you to see is 
we need to follow Jesus' example. We have the ultimate example. Look there in the first, uh, the first three verses of chapter 15 of Romans. Uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So let us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached fell on me. When Jesus came to earth, he, did only, he only did the will of the Father. And we should strive to do that. I like how the, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a multiple translations guy, so if you're, if you're a KJ only or, uh, or an ESV only, I apologize. I like to look at different ones because I believe they can open up different thoughts about different verses. Um, but I love the way the CSB translates verse 3 there. It says, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So uh, when we as Christians um, feel like, well, we're trying to help the weak, we're trying to do these things, and, and it's just tough, and we, we fall into tribulations, no matter what we've been through, Jesus went through it first, right? And uh, you know, Jesus said, they hated me before they hated you. And so I feel like we can, that's another just reason, uh, example that God can give us, right? Um, a, a, another example of Jesus that we can follow. Um, one of my favorite subjects is, is history, and I more specifically love military history. Does anybody in here, anybody like military history? I, I love military history. Uh, I'm an Air Force veteran. My father and my father-in-law are both retired veterans, so I love reading about uh, military and military battles and campaigns and strategies and, uh, behind some of the most divisive victories in history. I, I just love it, right? I especially love World War II. There's a reason they're called the greatest generation, right? Because I think there's a lot of great stories that happen during that time, during the 30s and 40s and 50s. And, and, and during um, uh, World War II, there were some really good things that happened as far as, as battles. And so I just love to study that. Uh, one of my favorite books is a book called Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever read that. Uh, they also made a mini-series back, uh, it's probably 20 years old by now, on, on HBO. Um, they take a lot of uh, uh, theatrical liberties in that, uh, in the visual representation of it, but the book is so much better, as always. I think we, when you read it, the book always seems to be so much better. Um, but the book is about the 101st Airborne, and um, they were also known as the Screaming Eagles. These were the guys that were paratroopers, and they, they would um, drop in behind enemy lines and try to fight the enemy from their, from their flank while the rest of the, the, rest of the um, forces were invading from the, from the beaches. Um, and in this case, they, on D-Day, they jumped back into Normandy and tried to put pressure on the Germans while the rest of the American troops were trying to um, invade uh, on Omaha, Utah, and the beaches that they were coming in on. Um, but more specifically, the book talks about a company named Easy Company, and um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, bunch of interviews with the guys that were actually there, and that's why I think the book tends to be better, because it's the people that were there, it's their words, right? And um, these guys were involved in a, in a lot of uh, major military battles during, during uh, World War II. Towards the middle of the war, which was really the turning point of the war, um, Easy Company was involved in the Battle of the Bulge, which is 
Um, one of the most famous battles in World War II. It is um, arguably the, the battle that turned the tide in our favor um, towards and, and ended, ended pretty quickly after that. But um, around uh, December of 1944, Easy Company was um, encamped around a, a town called Foy outside of a bigger town called Bastogne in the middle of winter and um, uh, this, this town was heavily fortified by German soldiers and German tanks, and um, we really, it, was, it was a strategic place that, we really, that the Americans really needed to take. And so the Battle of Foy lasted for 25 days, and the town changed hands four times with uh, the American troops finally taking it, the town on January 13th. Well, during that final assault on January 13th, Easy Company was ordered to take the town and, and uh, from where they were encamped in the forest and along the, uh, the western edge of Foy, along the road, they were to um, uh, make it into town and try to take the town back. Uh, their battalion commander, Captain Dick Winters, who had also previously been uh, the commander of Easy Company itself, um, he had two sections of light machine guns that were deployed at the edge, and so they were supposed to give covering fire as Easy Company moved in to take, to, to take the buildings. Now, between the, the forest and the buildings was about 250 yards of open field, not a lot of cover. And so as, um, they, as Easy Company approached and went on, went on uh, going into town, um, the fire from the light machine guns did their, did their work and kept the, uh, the enemy fire to a minimum so they could make their ingress. Well, as the approach was going good, uh, all of a sudden, about 75 yards from the edge of town, um, the, the skirmish line halted and uh, the paratroopers just hunkered down in the middle of the snow. They were open sesame, like they were right there to just be taken by the enemy because they weren't moving. Um, Captain Winters, who was the battalion commander, stared in disbelief, and he wondered what was going on. Uh, he, he, he assessed that Lieutenant Norman Dyke, who was in charge of Easy Company at the time, had been overwhelmed with either indecision or um, he just had had a, a, what they call a failure of confidence. He couldn't, he couldn't lead the troops in. His immediate impulse was to take command himself and lead the charge on in, but he couldn't do that because he was a battalion commander. So he noticed Lieutenant Ronald Spears, who was a, who was a commander of a platoon in a different company, he ordered uh, Lieutenant Spears to take over and take the, 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 take the um, easy company on in. So what Spears did next was amazing. He ran full speed up to where easy company was taking down, he found Lieutenant Dyke and he said, I'm here to take over. After getting a, a quick rundown of, of where they stood by the NCOs, NCOs, he ran full speed again all the way into Foy. The men of Easy Company immediately followed. Upon reaching the buildings, um, Foy told them to, 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 to hole up and he said, um, I want to I link up with EI Company, who was a different company that was coming into the flank. So. He gets up and he runs again through the uh, German-occupied town, past people, past German soldiers, and he links up with I Company and gave them their orders to come in on the flank so they could take the town. What happened next was even more amazing. Lieutenant Spears turned around and he ran back through the occupied town 
and um, through, the, through the enemy fire and linked back up with uh, Easy Company to take, the, to take the, uh, um, the battle on in and eventually take the town of Foy. When, when um, they secured the town, the, the soldiers said that the most amazing thing wasn't how he ran and led them into the town or even how he ran through the occupied town and linked up with the other I company. He said the most amazing thing was that he came back. He came back through the town. And, and as he was fired on by the enemy, not one bullet hit. The most amazing thing was um, that Lieutenant Spears came back. Now, Lieutenant Spears became the permanent uh, commander of Easy Company, and uh, he commanded them through the end of the war. And um, uh, when, when interviewed in the book Band of Brothers, uh, his men said that Lieutenant Spears was a tough but fair commander. And, but more importantly, he led by example. He was willing to do anything that he asked any of his troops to do. And he, and he, he would do it, and he led by example. Isn't it great that in the Christian faith that we have an example to follow, the ultimate example, and that's Jesus Christ? We don't have to guess what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to act. Jesus is a role model and an example that we should follow. He set the bar that we should constantly strive to meet, and we should, we should always emulate to be like Christ. Um, uh, look, what, look what Peter says about it in 1 Peter 2, 21-24. He said, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? Leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are held. Healed. Jesus led by example. If you want further proof, look at John 13. I don't have time to read that whole chapter, but this is the part where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He goes in and said, I'm doing this for you. And Peter's like, what? I'm, you can't wash our feet. You're the Messiah. I need to be washing your feet. And Jesus is like, no. I'm trying to show you how that you are supposed to help others and how you are supposed to be a servant for others. And Jesus led by the example. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul again says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ, right? What I want you to see is that we don't have to guess how we should act and what we should do. We have the perfect example that Jesus set for us. Um, number two. I only got five, no, two more points after this, sorry. Um, uh, I think Paul wants us to see here that we need to be reading our Bibles. And, like, I know I hear that all the time, and I tell that to people all the time, but sometimes I don't listen to it all the time. But we have written instruction right here to tell us what to do, right? As I mentioned earlier, I am a student at um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I'm on their online program, so I can do it anywhere, which is great for me. But I have to tell you, uh, I don't... Going back to college now after being out of college for so long, I don't know how I got through my undergrad because I was like so overwhelmed. Uh, I went to the University of Tennessee. I graduated way back in 2005, so I've been out for almost 20 years. And uh, I haven't even looked at a college textbook for probably that amount of time. And so I brought one with me um, just to kind of give you an example. 
of, of uh, this is the book they sent me. Uh, and um, uh, my wife called me one day and said, what did you order from Amazon? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, this box, it's like really, really heavy. And so I'm like, I couldn't remember, I like, you know, because we order stuff from Amazon all the time. And so I'm like, I get home and I'm like, oh, this is my textbook. And I'm like, oh, this is my textbook. And so if anybody wants to borrow this to do biceps later on today, just let me know. But um, so this book came in the mail and we're supposed to read this in like eight weeks. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to to read this. this. This book is roughly, it's over 700 pages. And uh, I don't think I've ever read a 700-page book in my life, let alone in eight weeks. Now, I have read the whole Bible, but, you know, you spread that out over a year, and you, and you kind of you take it a piece at a time, right? I, I don't think I've ever read the Bible just like in just a couple of weeks, and, and uh, I've kind of like taken that as a challenge that I'm going to try to do that this year is try to read the whole Bible, you know, not super quick, but quicker than, than, than trying to read it over a year. But anyways, I say that to tell you that I was really overwhelmed, and um, uh, but once I got through the class, it was great. Like uh, it, it, it's it's all it's on Old Testament survey, and so a lot of people um, don't give as much credit to the Old Testament as the New Testament sometimes because uh, you know the Old Testament is the law, and the New Testament is the law written on our hearts. So the Old Testament isn't as relevant. Relevant, but let me tell you, it's relevant. The whole Bible is relevant, right? Um, so, uh, but like I said, other than the Bible, I don't think I've ever read a book, uh, over, over that, that many pages. That is until I got into grad, grad school. And so, but I learned so much from reading this book along with the, it's more like a companion to this book. And I learned so much about who God is, who his character is, and, um, uh, why it's so important that we need to be paying attention to the entire Bible. Um, uh, and, and what Paul is telling us here in, in, in our text, look at verse 4 again. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of what? Of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So it gives us hope. Um, that may the God of endurance and, and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, we don't have to guess what God is telling us here, right? He gives us written instruction. We don't have to guess how we're supposed to live. We don't have to follow some human example. We have God's words, God's words right here. Um, when you talk about theological uh, debates or theological beliefs, um, there's things within the Christian faith that uh, what I would say just aren't that important, right? There are some things that are, are non-negotiable, but when you talk about relative importance of uh, theolo- theological issues, I, I categor- categorize them into one of four things. Um, one, you have absolutes, right? Absolutes are things that this is our faith, this is our core beliefs. If you don't believe these, or even one of these, then I I would say that you're not a Christian. That's tough and that's harsh, but that's just the way it is. Those are things like salvation by grace, salvation through Christ Jesus, monotheism, which is there's only one God, the Holy Trinity, God three in one, things like that that are non-negotiable. Then there's convictions, which they're not necessarily core beliefs, but 
they have significant impact and health on the effectiveness of a church, right? An example of that may be drinking alcohol, right? Um, do I think drinking alcohol is a sin? Not necessarily. Do I drink? I don't. But Jesus turned water into wine. People in the, in, the Old, in the Old Testament and New Testament, they drank alcohol. It was a cultural thing for them. But the Bible doesn't say don't drink alcohol. It says don't be drunk with wine. Now, do I personally drink? I don't. Because I don't like the way that certain things uh, do to my body that could put me into a compromising situation. And that's why I don't. And that's a conviction. But it may not be a conviction for everybody. everybody. And does that necessarily mean you're a Christian or not? I don't think that it is. Is it up for debate? Sure. Can we have good, healthy discussions about it? And can I show you biblical reasons why I don't? Sure. But that's a conviction and not necessarily a conviction for everybody. Um, the third thing you have in, 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 in debating theological things would be like uh, opinions. Opinions are less clear issues that generally aren't worth dividing over. That could be like women are supposed to only wear dresses and they're supposed to be at their ankles or... Um, what would be another good example? Um, I can't think of one right now, but there, do I? Head yes, head covering, something like that. That's to, to the Christian faith, I just don't think that, it, that uh, uh, it's just an opinion on what you think, and it's not necessarily biblical, right? The last thing would be questions, and those are things that um, are Sorry, I got lost in my notes. Uh, questions are currently unsettled issues. Questions could be things like, do you believe the rapture is going to happen before or after the tribulation? Or are you a new earther or an old earther? And those are things that I feel like you can question about. But the Bible doesn't really give us clear, definitive uh, things on how that's going to be. Like, like how, how is heaven? Like, we don't get a lot of information about how heaven's going to be. We do know it's going to be awesome and going to be anything beyond we can imagine, but we don't really get a whole lot of things from Scripture that tell us how the Bibles are going to be. So I would call those things questions. But when you get to um, um, absolutes, those things are things that I feel like you, that, that are not compromised. We can have good conversations about uh, questions and or about opinions and questions, but to me, they're just things that I try not to get tied up in. We can have healthy conversations, but it's just not worth getting in a fight. But when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to reading the Bible, the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, and it is God breathes. He's the one that wrote it. It's His words. That is an absolute. And as a Christian, that's something we need to, to be reading. That's something that we need to be in every day, right? And so um, I, have a, I have a couple friends at church, and um, they were part of... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm learning new things because uh, uh, um, things change, and as you get older, you remember old things, but you don't remember new things. Uh, has anybody ever heard of Crew? C-R-U, yeah, and I know Nick, and like I talked to him about this the other night, but I was like, crew, what's that? Is that some kind of cool new thing? They're like, no, it's been around forever. I was like, how have I never heard of that? Well, Campus Crusade for Christ is the old, is the old name, and crew is the new hip name, so I wasn't hip enough, and I was like, oh, okay, crew, gotcha. Um, well, somebody uh, uh, at our church uh, who was big into crew when they were in college sent me a list that they use, and it's reasons why 
we should read our Bible. And it's 14 reasons, so I'm going to go through them kind of quick. So if you have any questions afterwards, come find me. I can give you the list. I can email you the list or whatever. But um, uh, Stu told me there was too many, so he's not even going to put the scripture up on the thing. So I'm going to go through them real fast. So this is 14 reasons why we should read our Bible. The first one is it reveal, it's how God reveals his character. Like I talked about a minute ago, you can read the Old Testament and you can see God's character throughout. That's really what tells you who God is and, and why he loves us and why he does the things that he does. Um, the second thing is it gives instruction for daily life. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, number three, it teaches us how to pray. Uh, look at Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. That's Jesus giving us the model prayer. Again, we get Jesus' example about how we should pray, and that's in the Bible when we read the Bible. Um, number four, it explains the gospel. John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. Arguably the most famous verse in the Bible, but gives us the entire gospel in one verse. That's a reason why it's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16. Um, number five, it explains how to share the gospel. Look at Matthew 28. That's how we get the Great Commission. It tells us what we're supposed to do, how to share the gospel. Uh, number six, it teaches us how to trust God. Uh, Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Number seven, it shows what God's will is for us. Romans 12, 2. We've just been in Romans. I've been reading this verse every day. I swear for the past like six months, so I know it by heart. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It shows us what God will for us. It transforms our lives. Um, number eight, it's full of God's promises. Look at Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be, be discouraged. I was reading that verse a lot this morning because I was, I was uh, trying not to be afraid and discouraged to come and talk to you guys. And so um, uh, God tells us. He promises us that he's not going to leave us and that it, he fulfills his promises. Number nine, it's historically accurate. If you look at uh, a lot of the gospel, um, one good example is Luke uh, 2, 1 through 4, um, where it talks about um, uh, Joseph is going, um, right before Jesus is born, he's going back to um, the town he's from in Bethlehem, and he's going back for the census, and um, it talks about certain uh, governors and kings who were in place at that time. Well, there are historical books that are not the Bible that verify the information that are in the Bible. So it's historically accurate. Uh, number 10, it teaches you how to forgive. Uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Uh, number 11, it's full of truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's John 17, 17. Uh, number 12, it asks and answers big questions. Psalms 10, 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in troubled times? And then God answers. Read Psalms. Like, if you, wanna, if you want questions and answers, read the Psalms because it gives you that, right? It, it, it gives you the heart of the psalmist and then give God's response. What a great God we have to, to be able to answer the questions that we have. Uh, 13, it's culturally, culturally relevant. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. 
Uh, I know it's, it's sometimes hard to look at the world today and be like, you know, I don't think that they deal, dealt with this back in the day, but I think they did. I think that the same things that we go through as Christians today are the same sins that Israel and, and the people of Jesus' time dealt with. They're the same things. It's selfishness and idolatry. I mean, that's basically it in a nutshell. And so God tells us that the Bible's still culturally relevant today because the things that went on then, the same sin that went on then is going on now. Uh, the last one, number 14, it reveals how much God loves us. And he does love us. Look at 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from who? comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you want more than 14 reasons, read, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And so I encourage you to continue to read the Bible, because that's what God tells us to do. All right, number three. Glorify God together and accept others. Um, this is my favorite part of the message. It's not necessarily, I would say, the most important, but um, it's my favorite because Paul here is telling us that Jesus came for everybody, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too. And like I said before, if you look at me, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile, and so I have the same hope that they have, and I'm part of the same family that they have because God uh, accepts us all through Jesus, right? And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have a God that loves everyone and, um, because I'm a Gentile, and, I have this, and, and, and through that I have the same hope that the Jews have through Jesus Christ. And so I'm just thankful for that. Um, but more importantly, Paul here is telling us the fact that we need to accept others even when they're different from us. He's telling us that the Jews, he was telling the Jews that they need to be in community together with Gentiles despite their differences because we're all Christians, right? They were Christians too. He's telling the, 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 uh, the, churches, the church there that, hey, just because they're not Jewish doesn't mean they're not Christian. Look what he says in the text there in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to the rule of the Gentiles, in him were the Gentiles hope. Christ not only accepted the Jews, but he accepted the Gentiles too. And so him accepting us tells us that our service is to accept everyone. Our, our service is to all people. We are to minister to all. Um, if you jump back to the, to the last point in verse 7 there, Paul was saying we need to welcome others. And I think he wants to make sure that in, the, in, in verses 8 through 12 here that um, we don't we don't think that there's any exceptions to that rule. Everyone means everyone. The gospel is for everyone, right? And I think that Paul makes that clear in these verses. Um, and he, he, uh, he does this by quoting the Old Testament, which is awesome. Uh, um, I love it when people in the New Testament uh, quote the Old Testament because that just shows, again, how relevant the Old Testament was. He's reminding us that the covenant that God made with the Jews and that not only that, he also had mercy on the Gentiles. He's just reminding the people that, hey, 
God made a covenant with you. He's been faithful. You haven't been. But he's still faithful, and he has mercy on you. That first quote that he does is from 2 Samuel 22.50. It says, Therefore I confess thee, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing thy name. See, David here was seeing that the Gentiles were included as God's people. The next quote comes from Deuteronomy 32.43. Rejoice ye heavens with him, and let the angels of God worship him. Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people, and let all the sons of God strengthen themselves in him. In Abraham's seeds... All nations will be blessed. That's what he's saying here. Through Abraham, Abraham was before the Jews. In his seed, everybody will be blessed, right? Uh, then he quotes Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. The Gentiles weren't an afterthought here. Paul is saying that God always wanted to bring everyone, Jews and Gentiles, together into one body. And then lastly here, Paul quotes Isaiah eleven twelve, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse... And he that shall arise to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust and rest shall be glorious. Isaiah here predicted that the Gentiles would live under one rule, under the root of Jesse, which that's Jesus, and that they will have hope in him. Christ will reign over the Jews and the Gentiles. When Jesus came and died, he died for the sins of the entire world. Everyone, I mean everyone, needs that salvation, right? And we as believers are supposed to tell everyone about that. We're sinners. We all need him. We need to tell everyone that they're sinners and they need him. Humanity is in this together, and we as Christians have the most important job of telling others about Jesus. Uh, my last point, number four. We're told in, in verse 13 here that we're to abound in hope. What does that mean? Well, in verse 13, Paul offers us a blessing and a prayer. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Here we see the letter is coming, uh, really coming to a close, and especially the first part of what I was talking about, the first of three closures that Paul gives us. He's offering us further encouragement uh, to continue to place our hope in God. We can see that throughout this chapter that Paul tells us that we have hope through what? Through Jesus. We have that through what? We have that through Jesus' example. We have that through the Scripture. And now he's telling that, us that we have that through the Holy Spirit. We have that hope through the Holy Spirit. We have joy and peace when we anticipate and believe that the promises of God will be fulfilled. When we have faith in God, we're granted the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Much of Paul's purpose here in writing this letter was to tell people that living the way God designed us to live comes through faith. Not law, not sin, and not flesh, but faith. Paul is clearly telling the audience that he hopes now and at the end of this letter that they would be at peace and rest in the hope of the Spirit. Rather than worrying about following the law or following tradition, Paul emphasizes that faith in God rather than rule following is how we accomplish this, and that's through the Holy Spirit, who dwells inside every believer. In verse 13, we also see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can be full of hope. Hope and joy, peace, and all that is given to us by God and the Spirit, by living out our faith. And I hope that in what I've told you today, that these things will help you live out the faith. Before Jesus ascended, he told us that it's better uh, that I leave and leave this place because what I'm sending 
is going to be better than me beside you. And that it was the Holy Spirit, right? And um, what a beautiful picture that is. He's like, you know, they're like, we don't want you to leave. But he's like, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be in you. I'm not going to be next to you. I'm going to be something better. I'm going to be in you. So what great power we have access to. What a great hope that we have, right? Sometimes we hope for things that, that aren't really real. Like a car can't bring you true hope. I love cars. Like we rented a, a brand new F-150 and that thing's awesome, man. I'm, I'm really have thought about just driving it on back to Knoxville, but that would be stealing and that's wrong. So I'm not going to do that. But that doesn't bring us true hope. That can't bring me true hope. That's a thing that's just going just gonna to eventually rust and break down and be gone, right? Um, so it's going to go away. It, it, uh, finance, finances can't bring us hope, right? Financial stability. Because what happens? It may bring us security and a level of ease, but eventually we die and you can't take it with us. Or eventually we spend it all, right? And we don't have any more. That, that can't bring us true hope. A spouse can't drink, bring us true hope. Like, because um, uh, a spouse uh, only has abilities that, that he or she can control, right? They're limited to those abilities. So a spouse can't, can't bring you hope. True hope comes from the one who created hope. It comes from Jesus, right? True hope comes by trusting God even when circumstances are difficult. Um, and one way we know that, uh, whether you're trusting God is whether you're obeying his word, right? Whether you're acting like him, reading his word, and then abounding in hope, right? Trust produces obedience, which produces hope, which results in joy and peace. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, I encourage you to abound in hope. Um, and so um, if everybody would just bow, I'm going to ask Nick to come on up. He's going to do communion for us, but I'm just going to close this in prayer before he does that. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, letting us be here to be able to worship you and give you the glory and honor that you deserve because you do deserve it, Lord. You deserve all that. And um, I thank you for letting me be able to, to deliver the word today, Lord. I hope that um, I didn't say anything to embarrass or take anything away from the word, Lord. I pray that um, that I was able to give encouragement and hope to them and not my hope or not my encouragement but yours Lord because because this is your truth and your word Lord and I, I just pray for that I ask now Lord that as we go into a time of communion that you just set our hearts right Lord you set our minds right as we partake in it Lord and I ask this in Jesus name